You are listening to First Church Charlotte. And great to see all of you in the house of the Lord this morning. I appreciate you all taking the time out of your week to put God on the first day and together together with other people of faith and worship the Lord with us. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, it's my privilege and honor to bring the word of the Lord to you today. Before I get started in that, I want to say thank you uh, to Sister Nicole White, who has been a guest worship leader for us today. Uh, she is just a very talented person. Uh, she has a family connection here in the church. Uh, her brother is our worship pastor, and she wanted me to tell you all that she taught him pretty much everything he knows. And um, so that's enough of that. Also, her husband, uh, Cedric, is here today, uh, a.k.a. Well Said. And so I'm going to use him in a, as a preaching illustration here in a moment. He, don't know, he doesn't know what it's going to be, but it's terrifying to sit there in suspense. And so just be glad you're not in suspense here. Praise the Lord, everybody. I hope, I hope you've had seven days of, of prayer and seven days of fasting. Uh, I came across a psalm for you. If you have dieted recently or you've been fasting this week, this is for you. Strict is my diet. I shall not want. It maketh me lie down at night hungry. It leadeth me past the Baskin Robbins. It trieth my willpower. It leadeth me in the paths of starvation for my figure's sake. Yea, though I walk to the aisles of the pastry department, I will buy no sweet rolls, for they are fattening. The cakes and the pies, they tempt me. Before me is a table of celery and lettuce. My day's quota runneth over. Surely calories and weight charts will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the fear of the scales forever. If you missed Friday night spring worship experience, I want you to know it was off the charts. I'm not just being positive. I'm not just being all, you know, how us preachers do. I'm telling you, it was next level. Our team has worked incredibly hard. And our, as a result, we're, we're really able to have a worship experience that's at the next level. Uh, whether it is our band who has worked, not just preparing music for you guys, but all of the details that goes into uh, equipment and sound and production. It is it, super, uh, it's a tremendous amount of work. Uh, also, our technical production team has worked super hard. Uh, Jeremy's our technical director. He's worked super hard. Uh, we have spent just a ridiculous amount of money, so I'm going to be asking for an offering very soon just so I can sleep at night. <laughs> we have spent uh, a tremendous amount of money, but the result is is uh, we can have nights of worship that are really at the level. I could We could have had anybody in the city here and I'd have been proud of First Church because of the hard work, the preparation, the, the whether it's lights, whether it's sound, whether it's talent, it is just, it's next level. I thank God for that. If you missed it, I want you to know uh, we'll do another one probably in the fall and you can make it to that one. going to be a great time. We want to be, a lot of times worship is the first place of spiritual fellowship with people. And after that, the Lord can, as appropriate to his will, begin to knit you together with them and grow your lives together with them. I'm preaching today from the story of Elijah. And my title is Doubt, Drought, and the Presence of God. 
doubt, drought, and the presence of God. I'm going to be dealing with this story for the next two or three Sundays, depending on how efficient I am at communicating what God has put in my spirit. I, I really want you to understand at the outset, though, that these are, these are the stories that have survived for a spiritual reason and a spiritual purpose. These are not simply the cultural inheritance, like a story that comes through your culture. That's not what this is. This isn't just a fairy tale or a legend. This is a story that God preserved in the canon of Scripture, that we might have spiritual instruction and spiritual growth in our life. If we learn from the Bible, when we walk out of here, we have greater faith than we've had when we came in. If we learn from the the scripture, the principles of the story, we're able to speak with assurance of God's word, and we're able to stand in the assurance of our spiritual identity. And if you can get the word, what God said, and your identity, who God says you are, it will radically transform how you experience your life. Can I have a big amen from all the religious people in the house? Amen. God bless you. So let me get started talking about the story of Elijah. We are going to conclude the service today, of course, with uh, our our uh, partaking of the Lord's Supper together, as is our habit after we do these Passion Week, seven days of prayer and fasting. And so let me let me direct your attention. The, the place of Scripture where we are learning from together is, of course, the first book of the kings of Israel. We call it First Kings, and we are looking where Elijah's story begins in chapter number 17, where something, something interesting happens. Elijah, as a prophet of God, suddenly rises to national prominence by standing in the court of the king and speaking the word and the will of the Lord to the king. And that word goes like this, It's not going to rain. In Israel until I say so. It's not going to rain until I say so. So let me uh, give you a little bit of insight into uh, the context here. Um, Israel is in a time of spiritual confusion. This is the time of temptation of their souls. What do I mean by that? We all of us look for meaning in different places, we all of us look for favor. In different ways. We all of us look to know God and to receive of God's blessing in our life. And there is a temptation in the flesh, hear me, just give me a moment here, to resist the way of God, the way of the Spirit, the way of spiritual understanding, and to live carnal lives of human understanding and human uh, systems and human plans not to live spiritually. In other words, rather than the complete submission of our life to God and us saying to God, I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. The result of that is that I am going to live as though you are the king of my heart and I have abdicated my sovereignty to you. In other words, I am not going to live by my world's 
values. I am going to live by your kingdom's values. And I'm going to stand in the way of the eternal, not the temporal. For us, this means we decide to start being spiritual people. The most important thing you can do in your life is make a decision to turn toward God. Almost every writer in the New Testament celebrates the moment when you turn your attention, you begin to believe that God changes everything because this is what we know. If you will turn toward God, he will turn towards you. He is waiting on you. Behold, he said, I stand at the door and knock. The first moment, you may not have even had a a really profound spiritual experience yet, but the first moment that you turn toward God is the moment where all the possibilities of heaven begin to open to you. And so the writer says it like this, you must believe that he is. And that he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Do you see what's happened? Someone has decided, I I, I don't believe that this life is just, you know, uh, some few decades and few experiences and then we're dying gone forever. I believe there's something eternal at the core of life. I feel a sense of eternity in me and more than that, I feel a sense of the invitation to live a life that is of the things of God. I have the invitation. When you begin to feel the invitation of God upon you, that is going to be the moment you begin turning away from the world and turning toward God. The Lord will run to meet you. He's going to meet you. He is going to celebrate your repentance. You're going to repent. He's going to celebrate that repentance in your life. He is going to give you his identity. Did you hear what I said? We are all of us spiritual orphans until we cry, Abba, Father. He is going to remove the curse of a spiritual orphanhood from you. And he is going to adopt you as his son and as his daughter. So you have been washed in his blood. You have been adopted. That's We take on his name in baptism. And he will not leave you in your own strength and your own ability. But he is going to tabernacle with you. His presence is going to live in your heart. You will be filled with his spirit. All of that is the journey. But you have to believe that he is. And you have to believe that he is the reward. If you can get started, God will meet you at the moment where you say, I'm I'm turning toward you. Israel, Israel has... Uh, they've turned away from uh, from God, from uh, Yahweh, from the covenant of, of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now they're seeking blessing at another belief system, another deity. Uh, They are serving Baal. Real quick, uh, the king Ahab got married and he brought his wife, everybody's favorite character, Jezebel. (laughs) He brought Jezebel to Israel and um, he evidently, Jezebel ran the house. Now this is the example I'm going to use of Brother Cedric, you know. Uh, uh, (laughs) Got to speak the truth in love, brother. You see, he was a real henpecked husband, but... (laughs) Just teasing, brother. Just teasing. So anyway, uh, he, his wife doesn't just like move in to the house. She brings 450 prophets of Baal and 450 prophets of Ashtaroth, and they begin to institutionalize the worship of false deities among the house of Israel. Why does this matter? There's always been a temptation for idolatry among God's people. It's not just Old Testament. Even today, there is a temptation for us to look for fulfillment in some place beside the presence of God. 
Even today, there's a temptation for us to seek meaning somewhere beside the word of the Lord and the presence of the Lord in our life. There is still that temptation. For them, it was to believe that blessing would come through Bel. Why? Bel is the god of storms. They believe he was the one who sent the rain. And in this part of the world, this arid, semi-arid desert land, it is the truth that water is wealth. And they want to be blessed. And they want to have irrigated lands because then the desert turns into a garden. And they go from scratching in the dirt to filling their warehouses full of literal wealth, literal life. And so they are tempted to trust in the God of the storm. And so the Lord finds a man who will speak for him. This is not just a prophet. It's a prophet who can see the larger battle. I want to explain that a little bit more in just a moment. Elijah rises to prominence not because he's a, pro- a prophet. There is, this is probably the heyday of what we would, you see in the Bible, called the school of the prophets. This time, Elijah and Elisha is the heyday of the school of the prophets. The result of that is there is a whole institution, a whole organization where people who want to be mighty in faith and powerful in spiritual gifts go to the school of the prophets to learn how to be powerful. They go to learn how uh, this thread through Jewish life will eventually be expressed. It's a thread of of mysticism. It's a thread of uh, superstition. Uh, It will ultimately be described as the Kabbalah within Jewish uh, tradition, which is this mystical type of spiritual uh, superstitious view of the supernatural. This this same thread uh, will be all the way back to this day. People wanting the supernatural, craving. They get together, they prophesy over each other, they, they learn, they study, they pray, they fast, all of the things that are a part of spiritual growth in Jewish life, they are doing this. But until somebody sees the larger mission, there is no point to their power. Y'all didn't just hear what I said, but brother, that was some fine preaching. I just want you to know you hit me with a brick, and I don't know what to do with that. Until somebody sees the mission, it doesn't matter how good they prophesy. You see, the mission is the heart of the nation. The devil doesn't care if 25 people get in a room and are powerful among each other, as long as the city isn't touched. The devil doesn't care if you get with your three praying friends and y'all call down angels on top of each other. The devil doesn't care about that. As long as revival stays with you and your three friends, uh, it doesn't threaten the gates of hell at all. But the moment we get a mission, the moment we get a burden, the moment we see hungry hearts and we say, I'm not just about being powerful, I want to speak the voice of God to a generation of need. That's the guy that God elevates from just being one of the prophets to being his voice in a generation. Stay with me. There's lessons in this, and if we get the lessons, we go out of here with greater spiritual understanding, with greater spiritual authority. And so Elijah stands before the king, and he says, the Lord's not just punishing you to punish you. The Lord, th- th- This drought is not just because he's mad. God isn't being passive-aggressive, and God isn't pouting. He waited until I could show up to show you it's not going to rain until I say so. There is a lesson in the trial. Right. 
God just has no honor or glory in just causing someone to suffer. In fact, if you're going through the same trial, you might need to start praying, God, what are you trying to teach me? I love you too, darling. Don't be mad at me. What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? I want to learn. Somebody say, I want to learn. So here he is, the man of God. It's not going to rain. The house of Israel in their backslidden state, they're praying to the God of storms to send the rain. God says, no. Mm -mm. I will send or withhold the rain. And this causes problems. You know, uh, Jezebel wants to kill everybody. Uh, she's she's kind of angry like that. And um, Elijah, well, he felt brave for a while, but now they're coming after him, and he goes into hiding. The Bible leads him. I want you to see the images here because these are not single-use images. These recur in the Scripture until the theme becomes just heavy with the weight of spiritual understanding. See these recurrent themes. He is taken away to a protected place. He is not protected among the school of the, the prophets. He is not with the school of the prophets. God sends him to the book, the brook Kidron, and there the Lord is going to stretch his comfort zone, and it's going to happen by an unclean raven bringing the prophet the meat of he needs to survive. Why is this a big deal? Because the raven is unclean, and you cannot eat the food that's been touched by a raven, and God uses the very thing that Elijah struggles with to take care of him. Not only has God taken him to the tights of a national prominence, but he now stretches him by having a... God could have sent a turtle dove. Don't tell me God's like, oh, we're out of turtle doves. Uh, How about any, I don't know, a red-breasted robin. That sounds nice. All we have is ravens. Somebody's getting fired. All right. That's not what's going on. The lesson is in the image. Revival will always start in the places that we struggle to accept. The things that we wrestle with, that's where revival will start. Because God is trying to show a truth in this story that is not just in this story, but it's over and over and over again in the scripture. The ravens come, they bring him meat. It's a good thing the school of the prophets were not there because they probably wouldn't have let him eat that meat. They'd have been like, honey, we would rather die than eat meat from a raven. So the Lord says, okay. They might have been tempted in the manner of humans to serve each other with righteousness competitions. Well, I would never touch that. Hmm. The Lord's like, hmm, here's a raven, here's some meat. Would you like to have some food? And Elijah is fed by ravens, drinks from the brook. But time comes, change comes, and the things he depends upon are taken from him. If the, you have had a steady sense, a place of blessing in your life, there's a temptation in your flesh that you begin to trust that place of provision, not the God who gave you the place of provision. It's a temptation for us. If you have a great job, if you're not careful, you begin to trust the job, not the God who gave you the job. And the first time your job is threatened, you fall apart. 
God, don't love me. I'm just, might as well just give up. It's just, Pastor Nate's mad at me. Well, that's a different issue. Do you see what I'm saying? We cannot separate or we, we cannot uh, make the error of thinking that God only has one way of keeping us. If you lost your job, God's got a better job for you. If y'all get mad and fired me, I'm going to have a better job next. You just watch. They're going to love me. They're going to bring me cake every Sunday. They're going to give me back rubs. The men, not the women, to give me any back rubs. They're going to come up and polish my shoes while I'm preaching. Go ahead and fire me. See what happens. I'm having fun. This is what I want you to see. You have to believe not in the place of provision, but the God who gave you that place of provision. And so, I want you to see what happens next. Elijah, remember these stories are for our instruction to understand how God works. He has to see the larger victory, the larger challenge, the larger battlefield. He has to see that the mission is not being with the school of the prophets, you know, practicing one with another and being spiritual one for another and giving prophecy one to another. But the mission is the heart of the people. As a church, we cannot simply be focused on our own needs. We have to see the mission that God has given us. We can't just be focused on what I want and what I desire. I have to see the path to every blessing is to seek the kingdom of God and everything else will be placed in my life. I know you want to be blessed. I want to be blessed. I know you want to have the desires of your heart fulfilled. I want the desires of my heart fulfilled. There is a way. You make God's business your business, and he will make your business his business. Elijah leaves this place of his comfort. He's now comfortable eating the meat brought by ravens. And he's comfortable having this quiet life in the shadow of the nation. But the Lord moves him again. And the Lord's going to move him even further out of his comfort zone. I want you all to be reminded multiple times today, the greatest revival might be outside your comfort zone. It might be the person you never thought would want you to pray for him. It might be the person you never thought would come to church. That might be where God uses his great power to manifest his will in your life. And so Elijah now goes from this place, this place of his comfort, he now goes to uh, the, uh, the area of Sidon. And the reason why is the Lord speaks to him and says, says I have commanded a, a widow there uh, in Zarephath, which is, it belongs to Sidon. I've commanded for her to take care of you. Now, this is not just eating meat that has been touched by an unclean animal. He is now outside the boundaries of Israel. He is now among the heathen. Um, in, the, in the story, uh, who, else is from, who else is from Sidon in the story? Uh, Jezebel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Lord sends him to Jezebel's country. Because although Jezebel's a devil, there's a woman in Sidon who will obey the commandment of the Lord. Don't write people off. You don't know where God has them. Don't say God can't use you over here. God could not use you maybe with this person at this time, but there might be someone else who's hungry and they're willing. And God's going to send Elijah to the very country of the 
queen who is trying to kill him. He's going to hide him in the home country of Jezebel. And when Elijah gets there, he sees this widow and she is eating the last of the cakes, the, the meal and the, the weed, I, I suppose, and, and the, or the, wine, the, the oil and the meal. And uh, he, he understands that uh, the Lord has commanded her. There's this problem. She hasn't heard the command of the Lord. You know, in ministry, we deal with this a lot. You know, I can tell people what the Lord wants them to do, but they can't, they, they, they can't hear it. I just wish I had the boldness of Elijah and just said, look, feed me first and see if God won't take care of you. I am not that bold. I'm just not. So, um, he speaks the commandment of the Lord to her and she obeys. He said, feed me first. She does. And a a miracle happens and her meal and her wine last for the whole of the famine, three and a half years, the whole of the famine that, that she is provisioned for by God. And this moment of God's place and God's protection. Uh, I want to now jump you in time in scripture to teach a principle this first, this first uh, message or sermon that we're doing on the life of Elijah uh, for this, this Sunday here, I want to jump you to a moment later on in uh, the centuries where Jesus is walking the earth. And Jesus is speaking to a group of people who will not accept him. They are the religious leaders of his home country, his hometown. Uh, he will do no great miracles there because they will not receive him. Uh, they will not let him speak. Uh, they will not allow him any authority. And because of that, he will do no great works there. And he says this to them. He says this to them to teach them what is going on in their hearts. He tells them the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. And there he explains the condition of their heart. Chapter 4, verse 24, the Gospel of Luke. Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah. There was no shortage of widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. But God sent Elijah out of Israel. To a widow who wasn't even of the household of faith, God sent Elijah outside the covenant to find a place of blessing and security. Jesus says it, references the story, repeats the lesson. There were no shortage of widows. Heaven was shut up for three years and six months. There was a great famine throughout the land. But to none of them, none of these widows, was Elijah sent, except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Now Jesus is going to say part two. There were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. None of the house of the Israel, none of the house of Israel received healing, but Naaman the Syrian received healing. The Bible says, so all of those in the synagogue, 
When they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. They rose up. They thrust Jesus out of the city. They led him to the the brow of a hill on which their city was built that they might throw him over a cliff. A cliff. This is what is, is basically being said by these people's actions. How dare you, God, bless who you want to bless? How dare you heal who you want to heal? We would rather kill God than let him exist beyond our control. But I've got bad news for everybody who wants to control God. God is not to be controlled. God's going to bless who he wants to bless. And he's going to curse who he wants to curse. And he's in heaven and we're on earth. How can I be blessed? It's called favor somebody. I said it's called favor somebody. I've got to care about what he cares about. I've got to see the mission he has given me. I've got to make my service about God, his promise, his goodness, his anointing. Not me and my agenda. Not me and my satisfaction. Not me and my comfort zone. I have to say let God be God. They know Jesus is powerful. They know he can raise the dead. He can multiply the food. They know. They don't care. They'd rather kill him if they can't control him. I've preached in churches like that. They'd rather kill a revival than have it happen among a group of people they don't want to work with. I've been run out of town. I've been threatened. Yes, literally threatened. I have had all of these experiences because people wanted to control God. I'm here to tell you, we're trying to control God at First Church Charlotte. Let me tell you what we're trying to do. We're saying, God, do what you do and just include us along with the plan. (laughs) Hear me today. God put a river inside of you. He didn't put a lake. I said he put a river inside of you. He wants to include you, but it's got to go through you. So I'm here to tell you, lift up your eyes to the mission that God has placed in your life. Open your heart to the need that God has surrounded you. Open your spirit to what thus says the Lord. Say, God, I don't have to be in control. I just want to be included. I don't have to be in charge. I just want to be on the team and let your, oh, let me speak for all of you here today. I'm going to speak for the whole church. Lord Jesus, let Holy Ghost power move in this city. Let there be the outpouring of your spirit. Let there be the miraculous. Let there be the mighty manifestation of God. Let the dominion of heaven be manifest among your people and let it start with these people right here. Let it start with our worship team. Let it start with our pastoral team. Let it start with our Sunday school team. Let it start with our worship service. Let it start in our in our, our first steps classes, oh God. Let it happen. Just include us. I'm almost done. Musicians, you can come. So this is the kind of spirit. Mm, praise God. I might even preach here for a little while today. Who knows? Just pray I don't get long-winded. You know how that never works out well for you. Um, So here's the kind of spirit that God blesses. I am sent to the house of Israel. Why are you asking for a miracle? But Lord, um, you know, even the little dogs around the table get the crumbs. Now, we know dinner's not for them, but they still benefit. (laughs) I'm sorry y'all didn't enjoy that. 
because that's like some deep stuff right there, and the Lord just gave that to me. (laughs) It's okay, y'all. It's all right. It's all right. The cake and the dinner wasn't for me, Lord. I I know that. But I just want to benefit. I I just, and the Lord says, such great faith. Okay, what's the people who want to throw them over a cliff? It had better be for us. It had better be by us. And we had better benefit. And if that's not the case, we would just soon throw you off the cliff. Talk about jumping the lake. We will throw you off a cliff. Um, that, that has got to be for us or we will not show up. And here's a little lady saying, I know it's not for me. I know it's bigger than me. But just a little crumb. Does anybody here want a little crumb? <laughs> I just want a little crumb. I don't need it to be for me. I want it to be for the city. And I want it to be for you. And I want it to be for the region. And if the Lord would grant it, let it go as wide as it can go. But I just would like a little crumb. On the way, would you uh, give me a crumb? This is the tone. And there's so much. Man, there's just so much. I I, got to quit. Uh, Well, not quite yet. This is the the theme and the tone of the thief on the cross. (laughs) He's not saying, save me, Lord. If you can save, save me. He's saying, just, Lord, just remember me. Church doesn't have to be about me. Doesn't have to be for me. I just want to be included. This is the heart of the person who is mightily used of God. This is the heart. And so, in the life of Elijah, the spiritual lessons and the truths that will recur all through the scripture are shown in detail. And they will be scaled up and repeated again and again and again. We just told the first part of the story. But there's going to be other questions we'll deal with next week. Like, for example, this lady who's not of the house of Israel, her son dies. And she wants to know, she wants to know, is is this because of my sin? Has judgment come to me because of my sin? We'll deal with all that next week. I want us all, I want us all. Tell whoever's calling, I said hello. Lord Jesus, we are your people. We're not our own. We were orphans. And you adopted us. And now with joy, we cry, Abba, Father. We cry, Papa. And we speak our love for you. We understand We are not the work. We are included in the work. And we understand that your heart is big enough to love everyone in this city, everyone in this state, everyone in this world. Your heart's big enough. We want to be included in that love. And we want to see the larger story of you guys' life that has been opened as a spiritual invitation to you. You didn't understand it when it happened. And you wasted a lot of time trying to figure it out. Yes, I I said wasted a lot of time. 
If your spirituality depends on how much you can figure out, honey, you have a hard life ahead of you. But there's been an opportunity that's been presented to you in the realm of the spiritual. But the Lord's not going to drag you across the threshold. Of He's simply going to open the door. And if you will step through that in faith. Oh, my Lord. Somebody needs to hear me. If you will step through that door that the Lord has opened for you. On the other side of the door is the miraculous. The other side of the door is the breakthrough. I'm not trying to hype you up. I'm not trying to hype you up. I'm not trying to do the opposite and make you introspective. No. I'm trying to tell you the Lord will open the door and He will beckon you. And it'll sound something like, can you pray with me an hour? It'll sound like, can you speak my heart? It'll say something like, can you represent my grace? Can I trust you to hold mercy in your hands? Or do you only feel powerful when you hold judgment? The door's there. Lord Jesus, as a church, we are praying today to step through the threshold into the realm of the miraculous. Not for glory of the flesh. Not for some self-exaltation that is sin and is against the heart of God and we repent for that. We want to see the manifestation of heaven among us for the testimony of God and the demonstration of the kingdom of God here on earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say, I receive it. Now put your hands together and give the Lord a hand clap. about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.